I'm Tim. For those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm only here every now and then. I uh, serve on the oversight team uh, here at Cornerstone. Uh, Jay is at my home church, Parker Ford, today preaching, and Justin is preaching at the church that Jay's been serving at, at Valley View. So we're doing the kind of like rotate around southeastern Pennsylvania, everybody help each other out. Sounds kind of kingdom of Godish, you know, it looks like early church stuff, so that's really good. Glad to be with you here um, today, and I believe that the Lord has uh, put a word on my heart for Cornerstone. Um, he Initially, when I was asking the Lord what to speak on um, for Cornerstone, he just gave me a text, that's all he gave me, just a passage of scripture. Um, it wasn't a theme, it wasn't anything like that, it was just a passage of scripture that he placed on my heart, so then I started studying the passage of scripture and started to realize, oh, okay, <laughs> this, is, this is where he's got this going. So um, one theme that I do believe is uh, present in this passage of scripture is the Lord establishing his spiritual authority in Lebanon through Cornerstone and through the church, okay? So God's authority is absolutely imperative that we live from God's authority. Amen? We don't want to live based on any other authority. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. If we trust on anything else, it's sinking sand, it's a cracked foundation, I'll build my life on something that in the end will not produce fruit, and in the end will end up slipping through my hands like sand through a sieve. Like, I'll be trying to grab, gra- grasp onto my life and everything will just be falling away, unless I have built my life on the foundation of Christ. And... At Cornerstone, that means that when it comes to the ability for this church, this congregation, to have purpose and meaning and impact in this city, it's absolutely dire, imperative, that everything is built on total dependence on God. That there's not, it's not the human initiative, it's not the ability to be creative, it's not the ability to have a great intuition about what needs to be done, it's about having faith and trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ and the presence of God among us. And as we stand on that, we can, we can say that in that bridge from uh, God alone when it says, uh, you're, uh, how's it go, you're unshakable, you're unchangeable, unstoppable, that, that picture of there's the consistency, the faithfulness of God that never changes. And so today, throughout our morning, as we're, as we're going through the teaching, and there's kind of two different parts of it here, I just want us to remember that the authority of God is unshakable. And so regardless of where uh, you personally you are in your lifeline and, and whatever's going on in your story, regardless of the story of what you're experiencing together collectively as the church, regardless of any of the circumstances around us, there is absolutely nothing that ever changes about the authority of God. He is always in charge. He's never rattled. And he always gets what he sets out to accomplish. That's God. And we have to take authority inside of us. We must live from authority, God's authority, if we will see the fruit of God's spirit working in us and among us. It's because we stand in the truth. 
and the authority of the word of God and live from that place. Amen? Okay, so with that kind of set as the theme, a couple things here. Um, First of all, I just want to affirm again um, God's uh, work through leadership in church. So um, uh, we're going to do a couple different things here at the beginning. We're going to pray for a few different things, and then we're going to transition into the passage, still praying, and then at the, at the end of the passage, it's just going to be a narrative, okay, where we're going to talk about what God's doing in the text. So the very first thing I want to do is, if you hold a leadership position of any sort in this church, if you're an elder or a deacon or whatever, you lead in any way, stand up right now, please. All right. We are called to pray for our leaders. Everyone who uh, is standing, reach your arm toward those people. Reach your arm toward them right now, and we're just going to pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we pray for those who are standing here. They are not standing because they are good. They are not standing because they are special. They are not standing because there is something about them that makes them awesome. They are standing because they have been chosen by you, redeemed by you, loved by you, appointed by you to provide leadership in this place, to allow you to lead, to lean into you, to trust you, to follow you, to listen to you, to obey you, to help others be connected to you. So in the name of Jesus, we just come to you on behalf of them, God, saying less of them and more of you. Would you establish in them the authority of Jesus so that Cornerstone is covered by the leadership of Christ, so that Lebanon knows the presence of God through this place, Cornerstone, as you establish your authority in this place. Raise up faith. May love just seep out of every pore that comes out of this body here. And may that happen consistently and faithfully because you remain head of the body as these leaders look to you and look nowhere else. And God, we just ask that in the leadership culture of this church, that you would establish yourself as King and Lord and you would remain there in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks. You can have a seat. Uh, So the passage that the Lord gave me was in Acts chapter 16. And last time that uh, I came, the Lord gave me a passage too. I don't know if you remember that. I believe it was the last time. Um, And it was about Peter when he was in prison and there was a prayer meeting that happened. And uh, there's this, this prayer meeting broke out and then he broke out of jail. And that whole thing kind of took place. And God had given me that. And it was really about us being a body of prayer, a corporate body of prayer. And that that's who we're called to be. We're always called to be a house of prayer. And if we're, if we're anything, we're a spiritual house, a royal priesthood, a people of prayer who trust God. And, um, and, and again, he's given me this interesting passage because, again, we're going to see one of the, the, the two, the, the other big apostle in, in the book of Acts is Paul. And we're going to see him in prison today. And we're going to see a prayer meeting there. Okay, and I, the Lord's just funny the way he keeps doing this. Um, but it starts, the passage really starts at the end of chapter 15. So um, uh, we're going to be at the, at the very end of chapter 15 and then through chapter 16. If you have a pen and paper, I'm going to ask you to write something down. If you don't have a pen and paper, but you have a smartphone and can write a note on your smartphone, I'm going to ask you to write something down. Okay, here's a list of a couple things that I, I would appreciate if you would just kind of Work with me on this one. Do your best to write down these things if you can, okay? So I'm going to ask you to think of three things and write them down. First, a relationship in your life that has tension or strain. 
Any relationship, think of a relationship. First one that comes to mind, a relationship that has tension, difficulty, strain, something in it, whether it's a a parent, whether it's a child, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a friend, whether it's a, a government official who's been giving you trouble, whether it's a neighbor who you're struggling with, a coworker, a brother or sister, a strained relationship, write that person down, write that name down. Secondly, I want you to write down a young person in your life. It may be you, if you're this young person. Um, Somewhere between that, particularly someone between the age of like 16 and 25, who may be thinking about life. Where am I going? What am I doing? If it's you, write your own name down. If you are in that category, but you know someone else in that category, write their name down as well but write someone's name down in that category. Now, third thing is where is a place where you need God's discernment and God's leadership? Where is something in your life where you have to make a decision about direction? You, you are putting, and maybe it's a consistent thing. Maybe every day or every week you're having to make decisions that are on you to make, or maybe there's a thing in your life where you need direction and you need leadership or you need uh, a decision. Think of, of, of a circumstance where you need to make a decision. All right, you have those things written down. Now we're gonna um, talk about the first. Th- this story in chapter 16 is about the church being built in the city of Philippi. Okay, there's the, um, and so in the, in, the, in the church, the church is not yet built in the city of Philippi. God is going to build his church in Philippi. Leading up to that is a series of events that takes place. The first thing is right here at the end of chapter 15. Paul's partner up to this point in the scripture has been a guy named Barnabas. Barnabas is a pretty awesome guy. He's called the son of encouragement. He's a guy who people love to be around. And when he comes around, people feel better because Barnabas is just encouraging him. Okay, that comes with all sorts of beauty and wonderful things. It also comes with the idea that Barnabas doesn't like to confront people when things get really rough. Paul tends to strengthen people and also at times tends to blast people. It puts them in an interesting situation in this spot. They've just received word from the Jerusalem council. They've been going around telling the Gentiles about Jesus. And so up till now, the people of God have largely been Jews. Now what's happened, of course, is that the Gentiles heard the word of God. Not only did they receive the word of God and enter into a relationship with Christ, but something started to happen. The same way that in the upper room when they were praying, the Holy Spirit came on them, that started happening to the Gentiles. And so they're like, Okay, we didn't choose to do that. God chose to do that. And so since God is breaking out on the Gentiles, obviously he's got a plan. They go to the Jerusalem council and say, so for the last like thousands of years, the people of God had to be Jews. So do these guys have to convert to Judaism since they trusted God? And that was the big question. Of course, the sign of converting to Judaism, the sign of the covenant was circumcision. So the real question was, do the Gentiles have to be circumcised? Because any time that someone converted to Judaism, that's what they had to do. The Jerusalem council decides this. Definitely not. 
They don't have to be because the Spirit of God already showed up in their life. He's affirmed them before they've made any move in that direction. So we are hereby declaring from now on that the the term people of God does not belong to the Jews. It belongs to those who trust Christ. There is a different sign for that covenant, and that is the waters of baptism. And then that is regularly practiced through communion. It's reaffirmed regularly through communion. Now these Gentiles, so that's what Paul and Barnabas received from the Jerusalem council, and they begin to go back to the Gentile world and to tell them what the Jerusalem council has just decided. And so they go back to this place called Antioch, and that's kind of the center, the hub, the sending church. And as they're there, this is where it picks up in verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Paul's like restless. He's been in Antioch too long. He's like, yo, we got to get going. And he says, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. So they all want to, Paul's like, we got to get back there and see how they're doing. Stuff might be not going well. We got to check in on them. Verse 37, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. You know who Mark is? He wrote the gospel of Mark. That's, that's this, this Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. All right, so this is what happened. In the missionary, the previous missionary journey, they were traveling around they had a confrontation. There was a spiritual warfare moment where they engaged in working to establish a new church in a city. They ended up having spiritual warfare. Things went nasty. Mark's mom, by the way, was one of the ones in the prayer meeting when Peter got set free from prison. Pretty cool, huh? So he grew up in an intercessor's home. But when there was spiritual confrontation that took place on the last missionary journey and they started getting their tails kicked by the enemy, they ended up winning, but it hurt. And Mark bailed and took off. And he's like, yeah, this is too much, I'm out. So now when Paul's like, let's go back around and check in on all the churches, Barnabas, the guy who's really generous and likes to encourage people and all of that, says, why don't we bring Mark along and give him the the good old college try. Let's give it a go again. You know, let's encourage him. Let's strengthen him and let him do it again. Paul's like, oh no, I'm not messing with that because last time it slowed us down and we couldn't do it. We have a job to do. There's a world that doesn't know Jesus. We can't be like playing babysitter right now. Like let this guy stay back here and do what he's supposed to do back here. We got a job to do. Who was right? (laughs) Who was right? Here's the thing. When it comes to relationships, sometimes one person's flat out wrong and the other person's right. Most of the time when it's tension, it's not like that, right? Most of the time we, we both have an angle of right and we both have things that are wrong. When it comes to the church and when it comes to following God, there is tension oftentimes that's not about who's wrong, that oftentimes actually is about the fact that there's two things that are right. And we are so committed to holding on to our portion of what's right that we can't hear the portion of what they're saying that is also right. And when we're kind of in that gridlock and we're not hearing each other, it's the reason we're not hearing each other is because we're not hearing God. 
Because in that moment, we've heard from God, and I heard something, and that became like kind of the the thing that I'm deeply committed to, but I can't hear God again in this circumstance because I'm locked in, man. I am like, here is my principle, and I'm holding to it. And I know it's right, so I'll defend it to the end. And you might be right, but that might not be all that's right. And you're defending that at the expense of hearing something else. Have you ever been there? I've been there. I've been there. So here's the thing. All the time, everything positive that seems to happen in the book of Acts happens when people are praying and seeking God and the Lord directs them. In this situation, no one's praying and no one's listening to the Lord and the Lord doesn't direct. So it goes like this. Paul thought best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn. Now in verse 39, there arose a sharp disagreement. In the Greek, this word sharp disagreement, make no questions about it. This is a bad word, not a good word. Some people might say, ah, it's okay. You know, they kind of disagreed and God had them go their separate way. This basically means that they hated each other in this moment. Like they were totally not okay. It was not the spirit of Jesus They had two different perspectives, and it got ugly, okay? These are two of the early apostles of the church. Some of the most effective, Paul's the most effective missionary. Barnabas is his bud, like, and they totally blew it interrelationally. It did not go well. So they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, okay? So this is what we're going to do. I want you to think about that relationship that's strained that I asked you to write down. God uses this moment to build his church further, right? He's, now there was, there was one missionary pair who was going this way. It became two missionary pairs, and there's all sorts of things that happen. They end up picking up Timothy. Paul ends up picking up Timothy. They might not have done that if they had already had Mark. He picks up Silas. He might not have done that. God multiplies the missionaries. I want you to hear something very clearly, that when we mess up, God has a way of redeeming that and doing awesome things from it. But when we see God redeem things, we can never use God's redemption as a justification for our poor behavior. We have no idea how well this would have gone if Paul and Barnabas had actually worked it out. We have no idea. But God is so good at redeeming things that it looks like that was plan A. Like when Moses and the Israelites had to wander 40 years in the wilderness and eventually come back and the whole thing, it looks like, wow, look at how cool God was. You know, in the end, that's awesome. That proclaims how good God is. It doesn't justify what happened when they originally didn't go into the promised land with faith. And so I want to just call us right now to that place where there's tension in our lives. Relationships that are separated, relationships that are broken, ones that have tension in them right now, that have the potential to be broken, and we're going to stop and we're going to pray about them right now, okay? So think about that name and let's go to prayer. Father, we just come to you um, with these relationships in our life. We know that you, see, you say to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. We just heard from our brother as, as we were leading worship that we should take the form of a servant, having the mind of Christ, humbling ourselves, putting others in front of us, that we need to keep the unity, the bond of unity, that we need to keep the unity in the bond of peace. And make every effort, God, 
on that direction. And we recognize, we just want to have like a mass corporate confession right now that we all, every single one of us have places in our life where we are stubborn and where we hold on to things at the expense of relationship. And it didn't need to be that way. We're not just defending God. We, we, we're defending our pride and defending our rights and all that stuff. And we're not soft enough to see the broader picture and to listen to you. So in each one of those situations, God, whether it's a relationship that needs to be reconciled, like Mark and Paul and Barnabas and Paul eventually were, we invite you, God, to bring reconciliation. By the authority of Jesus, bring reconciliation to those relationships right now. Please, God, begin to do that reconciling work. And in the place where things can go bad and where we feel the tension, we just ask, God, that you would give us humility and that you would give us faith in you, that you would give us a listening ear, a humble heart, and that, God, you would give us the ability to have the mind of Christ in the situation. And for whoever the person is on the other end of that spectrum, God, we ask that you would bless them in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so um, then we're into chapter 16, and it says, Paul came also, uh, well, it's actually at the end, at the very last verse there, it says, um, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia. This is Paul strengthening the churches. So his idea is to strengthen the churches. So as he's going around to each of the churches strengthening them, Paul also, uh, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Notice again, another young guy who's being called out by God. And again, he's got a mom who's strong in the Lord. Every woman in this place, I want you to hear this. Mark and Timothy, guy who wrote the gospel, another guy who established some of the strongest churches in the known world. The Bible makes it very clear. It's important who their mom was, and that they were praying moms. Okay? Just remember that. Okay. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to take Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them the observant, uh, for observance the decisions that were reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. All right. They went around telling people about the decisions made by the elders and the apostles. What was the decisions made by the elders and the apostles? That people don't need to be circumcised. That was the main decision they made. What did he just do? Circumcise Timothy. Who's the number one in all of the New Testament? Who's the number one guy telling people they should never get circumcised? Paul. And who's the one who circumcised Timothy? Paul. So this is kind of a a very, very weird and awkward situation. This is why, okay? It's a complicated thing, but hang on to this. Timothy is called by God to minister to the church. And as he is called by God to minister to the church, it's complicated because he's kind of a half-breed, right? He's half-Jew and half-Greek. Does he have to be circumcised to have a relationship with God? Absolutely not. 
But as a Jew, a half Jew, every city they go into, Paul's going to have to fight another battle about this guy who's Jewish and is choosing not to be circumcised. Whereas the decision made by the council was that Gentiles don't have to be circumcised. Okay, sacrificed. Hello. So um, it's kind of like that, dudes, isn't it? Like, yeah, just kill me. Just kill me, please. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So instead, Paul says, and we don't want to have to deal with that hassle. There's a difference. This is not him saying, just to make sure you're cool with God, obey the law here. That is not what he's saying. He's also not saying, we want to make the Jews happy. So we're going to go and do this. He's like, this is complicated. The gospel's simple. Let's get rid of the complication and keep our eyes on the prize. That means that this young leader has to make sacrifices for the sake of the cause. That person who's 18 to 25, think of them right now. Let's pray. If you're 18 to 20, if you're 16 to 25, stand up, please. Thank you. Everyone around them, reach out a hand. Either put a hand on them or reach out to them. Father God, we just come to you on behalf of the next generation. There are Marks and there are Timothys. God, there are people among us who are the prayer warriors of the next generation. God, there are theologians and teachers. There are those who will lay down their life to see people set free of bondage. There are those who will parent, those who will lead with courage, those, God, who will take your word and believe in it and won't compromise on it and are willing to sacrifice themselves for the sake of the kingdom of God. If you are standing right now, you are loved. You are called out by God. He loves you. We believe in you. We trust that God's work is in you and we trust that God's best is for you. We want to bless you in the name of Jesus and all those names who are written on our paper, God, we lift them up to you. We ask that there would be consistently those who would pray for them like Mark and Tim's mom. God, we just ask right now in the name of Jesus that you would establish the them very clearly that there would be people like Paul and Silas who would come along them and say, come with me, let's go, that God, you would raise them up to be the next generation of faith. We thank you. We need them not only in the future, we need them right now because you said to Timothy, don't be afraid of your youth. Be an example of the believer in word and in deed. And this young man put on a clinic for us of what it meant to lay down his life for the sake of the kingdom. God, we are humbled by the faith of the younger generation. And we ask that you would give them strength even in the face of a crusty older generation. That you would give them faith to stand on the word of God and do what's necessary even when things seem unfair even when things seem unjust, that they would stand firm in you and they would keep their eyes on the prize. Bless them, keep them pure, undefiled, redeem their situations and bless them in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can have a seat. Thanks. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having, now catch this, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. The Holy Spirit forbid them to speak the word in Asia. 
That means they could not go to the whole continent of Asia. They weren't allowed to go. The Holy Spirit said, no. Why? Well, it doesn't tell us that. It could have been anything. I mean, world history would be radically different right now if they had gone to Asia instead of Europe. But God took them to Europe. And so the gospel traveled that way around the world instead of the other way around the world. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, it would have been, instead of Hudson Taylor going to China, it would have been a Chinese missionary going the other direction. And for some reason, God had it going this way. Who knows why? One of the reasons might have been the fact that as a bunch of Europeans, we wouldn't have listened. Stubborn Europeans, that's a pretty solid thing. Who knows? It might have been that there would have been wild success over there that would have distracted them from what it is that God had for them. We have no idea, but the Holy Spirit blocked them, okay? When they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So again, they try to go somewhere, and God blocks them. Notice that they're like, all right, God told us to preach the gospel, so we're going to go over here, we're going to go to the biggest continent, we're going to go over here, and we're going to preach the gospel. And God's like, nope. Okay, we're going to go over here, and we're going to do this. Nope. Okay, we're going to go over. This is what's awesome. God's blocking them, and they just keep going. And they're like, we're going to preach the gospel. We're going to tell people the truth. And if God doesn't want us to do it here, we're going to do it here. And if God doesn't want us to do it here, the paradigm of the revealed truth of God is that the word needs to be taught, that we need to speak the testimony of Jesus. And whether it's working, if it's not working here and we're not called here, that's fine. Just keep going. But keep doing what God's called you to do. If you don't know the specifics, if this direction and you're not sure about this direction, keep doing what you do know. And that's really important, really important to keep at it. So passing by Messiah, they went down to Trous. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. A couple of things here. You don't need a vision You don't need a dream in order to figure out God's general will. You need obedience. The scriptures reveal it. We just stay in a place of obedience, do everything we can to do what the Lord's told us to do in the word of God. But there are moments when we're trying to do this, but we need the clear, specific direction. If we don't have it yet, we keep doing everything we can to obey this, right? And then we wait for the moment when God gives us more clarity. What's interesting is he has this vision and it doesn't say that, uh, it says they immediately listened to it because they concluded that the Lord had spoken. Notice that there still had to be a conclusion. And by the way, this word conclusion, it means come to unison. So it's taking the different things that they know and it wasn't, it was like, okay, we got blocked here, we got blocked here, we thought we were going to Asia and then there was this dream about this thing. So let's talk about it, pray about it. Yep, we're pretty sure that's what God's saying. Sometimes people think that if there's a vision or a dream that that means God's speaking and it's ex cathedra, that's right. That's not the way it works. If you have a vision or a dream or imagination, it does not mean that it's bulletproof. 
There are people who have visions and dreams and they're not from God. There are times when people get a spiritual sensation and they might be feeling something very real, but it might not be God's leading and God's directing. It takes us discerning as a community from the Bible primarily, from the uh, authority of the church, from, from the community gathered together, from the way that God's been working in circumstances, we're listening together. Then they concluded it was God and immediately they started to move. So as we're looking for that place of direction, that third thing I told you to write down, what's that place of direction that, that you're looking for? We're gonna ask for God to speak into that right now, okay? Father God, we just ask right now in the name of Jesus, we say you are not a God of confusion, You are a God of clarity. You are not a God who wants to play games with us and have us running in circles. You are a God who wants to lead us very clearly and direct us. If we have not heard from you yet, then we trust that the timing is not right for us to hear. But we ask that in the name of Jesus, that the second you make something clear to us, that we would boldly and courageously and immediately look for a way to obey. Lead us in that circumstance. Give us the faithfulness that can be consistent with what you've already spoken and give us courage to step into what you will speak in the name of Jesus. Amen. It seems like we'd be at the end of the service now. But the story's just starting. We're gonna fly through this last part, but this is actually the part that I think is for Cornerstone. Corporately, together. And for, and for Lebanon, okay? This is where they get into it. So God tells them Macedonian vision and they turn and they're like, let's go. When they get to Macedonia, they find three people. And in those three people, God is showing three different kinds of people that need Christ in this situation. There might be way more than that in general, but he's showing three different kinds. He also is showing how he's gonna establish his church and three different layers of depth that God's establishing his authority. The first one is Lydia. Setting sail from Trous, we made a direct voyage to some place and the following day to another place and from there to Philippi, okay? And they get to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia. God did not tell, tell them to go to Philippi. He told them to go to Macedonia. So they kept with what they had been doing where they're like, what's the best way to do what God told us to do? And they use their brain and they're like, okay, Macedonia, well then let's go to Philippi. It also happens to be a Roman colony, which is good because Paul and Silas are Roman citizens. So it helps them out. So they go to Philippi. We remained in this city some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate to the riverside where we were supposed, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. Stop, pause. What did they do? They prayed. It went to the place of prayer. It always starts with the place of prayer. No matter what, it always starts with the place of prayer. The whole thing that God does. All right, he told us to go here. Go here. Where's the place of prayer? Let's pray. You want things to go well? There's the basic things he tells us to do. Show up at church on Sunday. You guys are here. You're praying. Good job. You know, just keep that going. You know, and then it's like in the, in the morning, in the evening, Pray. We just do the thing, all right? That's where it starts. So there they are, and there's more detail about the fact that there's no synagogue because there's not enough people, all that we don't need to get into. What we do know is that while the men weren't stepping up, there were ladies who were stepping up and praying, and it was awesome. We sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. And by the way, you start seeing, it's talking about we 
because Luke has joined them. So now we have Paul and Silas and Luke all together. Um, In verse 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. If Thyatira rings a bell, that's one of the seven churches spoken of in the book of Revelation a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. This term worshiper of God is used consistently. It means a person who hasn't converted to Judaism, but believes in Yahweh, okay? But she doesn't know the gospel. So it says the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Principle here, the first person they find when they enter into the city is a seeker. She doesn't know all the truth, but she's got a heart toward God. When you come to the place of Lebanon to build the church, the very first thing we're looking for is people who have a hunger for God and they are in your life, they're in your family, they're in your neighborhood, they're in your workplace, they're around you and they need one thing from you. They need two things from you. The first thing they need is that you go to the place of prayer for them. And the second thing that they need from you is that you speak the truth of the gospel to them. You might not be a theologian, you might not have all that, it doesn't actually matter. All that matters is that you testify to Christ's work in your life. That's what matters, okay? Find that person and speak to them. The Lord promises he will open them. After she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So here's the thing is that it doesn't say she believed, Well, she heard what Paul was saying, and the next thing you hear is she got baptized. And that's the picture. It's not about circumcision and becoming a Jew. It's about being baptized and becoming a Christian, right? Because that's the sign of the covenant. And so she joins. The first thing when God's coming into the city is that the gospel's proclaimed. And that those who are looking, who are open and receptive, and where God is at work, find that, speak truth, receive them, Okay? That's number one. A seeker needs the gospel. Number two, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. There's a lot that you can dig into in this thing. Uh, uh, Instead of spirit of divination, this could really be translated as the python spirit because it's built on this Greek myth. But underneath of it was actually demonic activity that was going on where this girl had the ability to speak the future into people's lives. We know that because they actually really made money on it. And then she loses the ability to do it once the demon is exercised. Okay, so that's what's going on with, with this girl. Now, this means that first, there was a spiritual seeker in Lydia She needed the gospel. Then there's bondage that needs to be broken. There are people in our lives who can't hear the gospel because there's patterns in their life that they're stuck in. And until those patterns are broken, it's difficult for them to hear anything else. Whether that's addiction or whether it's poverty, you don't go to a kid in a third world country who's starving and tell him the gospel. You give him bread and water and you love him and you help them. Then you share the gospel. I have friends uh, who we just met with this week. Uh, you may know of them, the Ortenzis, I don't know. They are uh, missionaries with an organization called Zoe in Thailand that um, works to, uh, at the relief of human trafficking. And he was a, he was a detective in, um, in Ephrata here and learned online forensics 
and then got called by this mission agency to come over and teach the Thai police how to take down rings of slavery in Thailand. It's awesome. And what they're doing over there is absolutely phenomenal. When they get these kids from the brothels and bring them back to a compound that's tucked away, hidden somewhere. They teach them life skills and they love on them and they do all these things to care for them. They have a 100% conversion rate. 100% of the kids who come there, rescued out of that, come to know Jesus because they, were, they experienced Jesus by being liberated by Jesus' people. There are people in your life who are struggling with addiction, who are caught in cycles of deep depression, that's beyond their medication. There are people who are in bondage who need the truth of the gospel spoken into their life, but they need first to be liberated. And the power and the authority of God is with you to be their liberator through Christ. Watch how this goes down. This is hilarious. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. That's right. And this she kept doing for many days. Have you ever had a kid just say the same thing over and over and over? Why? 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 These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. These men are servants of the Most High who proclaim to you the gospel. It seems like, okay, well, she's the herald telling everyone what's going on. She's taking up all the airspace. There's no room to teach the gospel. You ever known when there's the thing where the, the truth is being spoken, but in the wrong way, in the wrong time, in the wrong spirit, and the devil uses that as much as he uses anything else? There are truths in this word that are spoken into our hearts in the wrong way. Because the devil did it to Jesus when he was being tempted in the wilderness. Quotes the scripture at Jesus. There are moments where we are not being liberated by true statements, but we are being held bondage by true statements because they're being spoken in the wrong tone of voice by the wrong person at the wrong time. And we're letting those voices take control. Watch how this goes. This is so cool. She kept doing this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Finally, the tipping point is Paul was like, I am so sick of hearing your voice. No. But notice he doesn't say anything to the woman. He speaks to the spirit. When you are constantly annoyed by something that's wrong in someone's life, there's a really decent chance it's not about that person. We wrestle not about against flesh and blood and that you need to start praying and commanding the stuff that's tormenting that person instead of being mad at them, right? And that's what Paul does. Bam, liberation, place of prayer, place of prayer. Okay, so first we had the woman who was the seeker who needed the gospel. Then it goes a level deeper in Philippi where there's spiritual bondage that's happening. There's exploitation because these guys were greedy and they wanted gain. So they were willing to kind of go along with the system as it was in order that this poor little girl is in bondage and this slave girl. But Paul's like, no, liberation, liberation. So first there's the gospel, then there's liberation. Then there's the third thing. 
When her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. By the way, that means that they were racist. And they are, distri- they are disturbing our city. And they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. I just want to remind you that when you come to be a liberator for Christ, when you want to speak truth that's going to set people free, when you decide to set your eyes on that person in your life and you pray for their redemption and you're going to pray until you see them set free, that it will come at a cost. We are not immune to the attack of the devil. We have authority in Christ to overcome and God always overcomes, but in the process, we take hits. And Paul and Barnabas took some, or Paul and Silas took some serious hits in this situation. Now, what's interesting is this woman who was in bondage, who they brought liberation from, now the spirit that had kept her in bondage says, oh, tough guys, now I'm coming after you. And so now they're put in bondage. See how that works? Spiritual warfare, when you come against spiritual warfare and you say, you know what? I'm not standing for the injustice in our city and I'm going to go after that. You can almost guarantee that injustice will come after you. Because that's the way it works. The thing's going to fight back, right? The spiritual forces are going to fight back. And, oh, you're going to come after me? Bam! And so where this woman was walking in a constant prison, being abused by these people, now these guys are being abused and they're thrown into a prison. Notice it says the inner prison. God's taken them deep into the heart of the enemy and deep into the heart of their own soul. Because now we're getting to the third rung of God building and establishing his authority in the city of Philippi and building his church. And so they find the third person who's this Philippian jailer. And as they find this third person, the Philippian jailer, it gets kind of ugly because they're you're, you know, all mangled up, you know, the whole caning thing and their backs being all beat up. And then they get put in these stocks. And apparently these stocks, as I was reading about it, they, what they would do with these stocks is the holes in the stocks, they'd make really, really wide. So you're, you're like almost like in an extremely uncomfortable situation where they lock your legs way out. You're going to do it like this, you know, in the stocks. You can't move. You can't, like nothing works. Your back's all bloody from being beat. So they're like holding onto the stock like this in the middle of the night, trying to get relief from the cramping that's happening in them. It's total torture. Total torture. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. You know they weren't sleeping. You can't lay on your back when it's just been beat like that and you're cramping up. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, well, so where did they go when they met the first two people? The place of prayer. They couldn't make it to the place of prayer here, so what did they do? They brought the place of prayer there. So there's a principle here. Whatever your circumstances are that are keeping things messed up, Turn your prison into a sanctuary. That's the principle. Think about what your prison is now. 
What is your circumstantial prison? Turn that place into a house of prayer. Turn that place into a sanctuary. Find that place. Think about that place. What is the thing that has you locked in? What is the thing that you can't control? What is that thing? It might be the same as that relationship you're talking about. It might be the same thing that you're trying to make decisions about. But what is that place that has you locked in that you can't control? You're in the stocks. You're being beat. You're being abused. You're in the jail. You're deep in the inner prison. And God's taking you into your inner person. And in that place, turn it into the place of prayer. And the prisoners were listening to them, of course. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. Remember when they heard from God about going to Macedonia and it says immediately they tried to follow? And in this place, they were praying and suddenly God comes to them. Because not only are we called to follow God when his voice calls, but God comes to us when his children cry out. And so in your inner prison, cry out, he will come. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prisons, the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. You know probably how this works. There's a system, we all know the system. We all know the system. You do this for your boss. You do this for your spouse. You do this for your kids. There's kind of the way the world works. When things don't go right, things fall apart. This guy was an institutional man. His job was to keep the prison locked down. That was the place of fear. They, if you are not doing what the magistrates want you to do, he guards this place. He's an institutional guy. This is the center of fear that kept that system going. Okay, everybody was afraid of the jailer, of the system, of the magistrates. He guards that place of fear. And in that moment, God changes the game. God says the authority of the prison, the authority of the magistrates, the authority of the jail, if you are building your life based on the fear of man, it will come crumbling because my people will cry out and pray. And when they do, I will break off the bondage and I will tear up the foundations and I I will build my church upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets. Footnote, Paul is an apostle. The scriptures tell us Silas is a prophet. He's building his church in this moment, in this place, with the foundation of these two men of God who are worshiping God in their inner prison. And from that place, God is establishing his authority in Philippi. The jailer's response is he's like, oh, The system failed me. When you see the circumstances of your life failing you, you are very tempted. I am very tempted. We are very tempted to think worst case scenario. My life's falling apart. This person doesn't like me. My job's going bad. And ultimately, man, I should just end it all. This is terrible. I just wish I wasn't here. I got to get out of here. Jailer's like, I would rather. Paul's like, no, 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 no. This is the moment for you to see something different. Paul cried with a loud voice. This is the voice of authority. This is the voice of authority. Paul just took over in this moment because he's like, I don't care about magistrates or jailers. The power of God is in him. And with a loud voice, do not harm yourself. That was a command. Do not harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for the lights and rushed in. 
trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. The moment where fear shifts from people and systems and circumstances to the fear of the Lord. That's the moment when the foundation is shifted, the authority of God is established, and God's people can say, I don't have to fear my circumstances. I don't have to fear anything around me except the power of God that can make the bonds bust off and the foundation shift. And he comes in trembling, and he falls down before the Lord. Paul and Silas. (laughs) He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, I want to make a footnote. What really brought him trembling is not just the earthquake. What brought him trembling was the fact that these people didn't leave when they had the opportunity. That's what brought him trembling. Because everyone did what was best for them as long as they could get away with it when the jailer and the magistrates would let them. But his whole world got rocked because here's people who had freedom, who had been held bondage, and they chose not to split because their fear wasn't of people. Their fear was of the Lord. And Paul was on a mission. He knew God had called him to Macedonia. He knew that God knew about all of this when he gave him the Macedonian vision. He was here for a purpose. He wasn't here to be comfortable. He wasn't here to get life the way he wanted it, all dialed in and perfect with the AC just like this and with the circumstances like this and the job like this and the family like this. That's not why he was here. He was here to build the church by the authority of God. And so when all of his circumstances shifted and it's like, oh, my bonds are off and all of that, he's not saying, okay, cool, now I go do what I want to do. He's saying, what is your will? And your will is, I'm going to go to the heart of the enemy and I'm going to run the spear through it. So what do I do? I listen to the words of Jesus. Do good to those who curse you. Love your enemies. And he lives out the kingdom in the middle of it. And he says, that guy thought he was holding me prisoner. I'm going to set him free. Man, it's phenomenal. And so the guy just puts his trust in the Lord. He fell down before Paul and Silas. They brought him out. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. He immediately begins to minister to them. Immediately, the Spirit of God starts to work in his life. The fruit of the Spirit is evident. He's washing their wounds. And as he's washing their wounds, it says, and he was baptized at once. They're washing his wounds. God's washing his soul. He's washing their bloody backs, and the blood of Jesus is washing his spirit. He's, put, he's taking care of their wounds, and he's going in the waters of baptism. It's this beautiful, beautiful picture of how God works. He and all his family. And he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And you know, every t- do this as often as you eat in remembrance of me. This is a moment where they're, they're taking communion together. He rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Now, here's the thing. This is where I want us to, like, this is it, okay? This is it. Here we go. My favorite part. They came in, spoke the gospel. Injustice comes toward them. But Lydia receives them into his home, into their home, sets a table for them. Then they go to the place of injustice and they, we're going to liberate you and set you free. It turns around, injustice comes back, bam, hits them back. They're like, 
You want to hit me? I'm going to go deep into the heart of your inner prison and God's going to take me into a deep place of pain. And from that place of pain, I'm going to cry out and worship you. God changes the game. And now the spirit of Jesus does the same thing and turns around and says, I'm going to invade the city of Philippi. And we see the jailer turn and the very same spirit that caused them to worship in prison overtakes his family. And the spirit of worship begins to grow in Philippi. And the church is now founded in Philippi and no one will be able to stand against it, not even the gates of hell. (laughs) So the gates of hell swing open. And I'll tell you the rest of the the, the snip, we won't read it. Uh, The next morning, they're worshiping, they're praying. The next morning, the magistrates come back and they're like, "Uh, tell those guys they can go now. And Paul's like, oh, I don't think so. We're Roman citizens. You didn't treat us right. You're going to come down here and apologize. Why did Paul do that? Was he arrogant? Was he selfish? He had laid down every right that he had. The reason he did it is he's looking at the jailer and he's looking at Lydia and he's looking at the girl who's set free and he says, don't you ever fear them again. Don't you ever fear them again. You dealt with us inappropriately. You are under the authority of God. Make it right. And they do. When you worship in the night, during the day, you have authority. In the darkness of your soul, when things are depressing and hurtful and grievous and hard, if you worship God there, then when the sun's shining, you stand with authority. Know God in the dark place and stand with God in the day. When you do, he will rock the world. He will flip it on its head. And everything that everyone's seeing, that's just the basic assumption of this is the way it works, God's like, "Mm, mm, 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 mm. this is the way it works. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Let's pray. Band, you can come up. We're going to have communion to close our time. And as we do, Um, there's going to be prayer opportunity for you on the one side of the sanctuary, communion on the other side here. And uh, and as we go into that place of prayer, I want to invite you right here in this place of prayer to think about your circumstances, to think about those around you who are in need of the gospel, to places where you need to be a liberator and stand authoritatively in the word of God, not believing that you are a victim of your circumstances, but believing that you are the very authority of God in your circumstances. And so we're going to ask God to highlight for us where it is that we can build the kingdom, establish the authority, and invite him to build his church in the city of Lebanon. So Father God, we invite you right now that as we break this bread and as we drink this cup, that you would identify for each and every one of us who are the seekers in our life, who are the people in bondage in our life. And then God, that you would show up in earthquake moments, shaking the foundations of the institutional people in our lives who have it together, who it's working for them like the jailer, but they need their world rocked a little bit. And we ask that in that moment, you would give us the ability to stand in you, God. Stand in you. Bring us to the deep place, the inner place, God. 
to worship you from that place in the name of Jesus. We pray these things. Amen. I invite you to come take communion here. Receive prayer if you need here. As you receive the benediction, I want to ask you first to close your eyes um, and, and just meditate on this. If you have not, like Lydia, if you have a hunger for God, you have a thirst for God, but you have not yet encountered the gospel and what it means to have Christ indwell your heart and lead your life, today is your day to receive the beauty of God among you, in you, giving your life over to the Lord and letting him indwell you with all of his love. If you have not received that today, I want to pray for you. One of, your, one of the elders here wants to pray for you. Today is a day you can give your life to the Lord and receive him, but I, I just ask you, make today the day. God loves you. If you also are stuck in bondage like that, that slave girl who was held, the authority of Christ is for you. It's for you today. Or if you, like the jailer, have been living kind of built on the wrong foundation, know that the shaking of God comes one form or another. It comes today by receiving it or it comes in the long haul. But the shaking comes. Receive it today, the authority of God in your life. And for you liberators of Cornerstone, if you have not been living in the full authority of God, if you've received the gospel but have not lived in the power of it, if you've kind of crawled off the, the altar of living sacrifice and have kind of been living your own life, living based on your own thoughts, and have lost sight of the authority and power of God, today I want that to be rekindled in you in the name of Jesus, that the people you encounter, you encounter with the authority authority of the word of God with the spirit's leadership among you and with the faith believing that you are God's chosen person to speak, to liberate, to breathe life into them. If any of those things are true for you today, raise your hands in the air to receive the benediction from the Lord. If any of those things speak to you today, stretch your heart out to God. Stretch your hands out to God and receive God's impartation and blessing. Today, we realize that Paul and Barnabas were messed up men who fought, that Paul got annoyed and cast a devil out out of annoyance, that there was chains that were holding them down, that the authority of God is not based on the righteousness of men or on the ingenuity of us, that the authority of God cannot be contained, but it can be received. So we receive your authority. We receive your love. We receive the truth that you are God and always will be and nothing can shake it. We align ourselves with you. Fill us with your spirit. Empower us for your work. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God bless you and go in peace.